Welcome to episode 129 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer. Paul Noonan and Brad Ford are on the road this week, so I am joined today by Ryan Top and a special guest star, J.R. Radcliffe. Welcome, guys. Hello, friends. How are you? I, 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 I've only done this once. Have I done this more than once before? Or was it just once before? I feel like you've been twice, but only once to my place. Maybe you went over to Steve's place? Yes, once? I did. Yes, I did yeah. go over to Steve's place one time. You were at a fish show, I believe, somewhere in Boston. Is oh, that yep. That would make sense. Yep. Good times. It sounds like that might be like most of your life, being at fish shows. Um, I mean, it's like one weekend a year. May- okay. Maybe two. All right. Cool. <laughs> I am traveling the summer to see them, to visit my brother on the East Coast again. <laughs> so, But this time it's Atlantic City, which is a whole nother level of weird and craziness. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be my Next choice. level fish. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks, JR, for joining us today. And uh, as always, the rest of you listening can help people find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcast and Spotify. We are once again sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know their great beers of Dragon Flute, Block Party, and the flagship Fantasy Factory. You can head to their tap room on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's east side to check them all out. You can also get a deal on Carbon 4 merch online using our promo code MKETailgate at Carbon4.com. It's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support the podcast network on our Patreon page. Just go to patreon.com slash MKETailgate. Ball and Glove and Above patrons get the monthly Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. And you will also get Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods through the Packers offseason. We're in the middle of NFL Combine now, so plenty of draft coverage coming your way there. So be sure to look for that in the future. When you sign up as a patron, you also get question priority here on the program, and you get a personal shout-out once you do become a patron. And, you know, a lot of the questions this week focusing on the big news, Freddie Peralta's surprise extension kind of came out of nowhere earlier this week. Uh, We got a lot of questions about that, but just to start it off, you know, he's getting $15.5 guaranteed over five years, two more option years that could push that to $30 over, what, seven years? So definitely a big big investment in a guy that you know hasn't really maybe shown a whole lot so far so i guess i'll just start with both of you guys what's your reaction ryan first i think you really have to be excited about what this means for the team and yeah for him too this is definitely a low price like they are signing him at a point where he still has not really proven himself so you're not paying like a premium price that you would have to pay if he has the breakout that i think a lot of us think is coming this year he does seem to be sort of on the cusp of that and we could talk more about that later but from his perspective you do have to wonder like is he going to be happy with this long term because he does get his guaranteed money up front and 15 you know million dollars guaranteed is life-changing money and i'm sure that is fantastic but he also did give two option years on the back end of that and this pushes him back towards the point where free agency is going to be hitting when he's if he if this all works out and he does get his two options picked up he's going to be close to 30 by the time that he he does get to free agency so this is taking up a lot of his years of prime money making ability which you can see from the brewer's perspective why they would want to do that and from his perspective too it makes a lot of sense that he would he would want to do that just to get the certainty in there because so many different things can happen with pitchers but he does seem to be giving up something here to to do it yeah, for sure. I think the those two option years obviously are the big the big story here if you're a Brewers fan knowing that he could he could potentially be had for seven whatever it is, seven and a half million over those last two years. That would be a huge savings if he blossoms into the guy he could be. But 
I mean, I think it is a little bit of a risk, not not financially, but it is, you know, a commitment to a guy who's, you know, an unfinished product for the for the most part. And a lot of talk about that slider that's being developed in spring training right now, but we haven't seen it. He's been fastball reliant for the majority of his career. He's not the prototypical big pitcher that GMs seem to fall in love with. So, like, there's, I, I guess you would say more of an injury risk with him, uh, although it's not like he's throwing a ton of breaking pitches as it is, at least not yet. So, uh, so he's... Yeah, he, he's he's super interesting. I mean, I think financially this is a no-brainer for the Brewers. It makes perfect sense. If, if Freddie Peralta had said, I'm willing to do this, the Brewers would have, you know, I'm, I'm sure they would drop everything to make that deal. So uh, it certainly makes sense for them. It will not hamstring them in any way financially. So it's it's a no-brainer. But, but he is, you know, he isn't a guarantee to be a key contributor over the next five years. He certainly projects well he's 23 and it's 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 exciting what he could do but we, we I think we still don't really know what's going to happen with him we don't even know if he's a reliever or if he's a starter at this point right at an right. average of three million dollars per year you're looking at it's basically no risk for the there's Brewers. no risk for yeah. the Brewers. This is it, a there's, there's really no downside for them even though it is because of the way these things are structured it still does escalate more like he doesn't get paid as much up front and gets more towards the back of it just because that's how the general salary structure in MLB works. But even at, like at the most for his guaranteed years, what is he making? I think it was four and a half. Well, I thought it, I thought it could year. get up to 30 million all told and it's 15 for the first five. So those two, like when you added all the incentives, it could be like seven. Oh no, but, I just meant that like that last guaranteed oh, year, sure, yes. I think on an annual basis, it's not four. Yeah. It's not really that. That's a steal. Right. So right. I think the risk on this is more on his side than it is on the Brewers, which obviously is why they did the deal. Right. And I think, JR, you brought up, we don't even really know what his role is going to be even this year, right? He's still in competition for that fifth rotation spot. But at this price, I think even if he's, you know, stuck in the bullpen, I shouldn't say stuck, but if he's in the bullpen and and looked as good as he was in the bullpen last year, I think that's even still a steal at this salary. If he does take that step with that slider and becomes a legit starter, uh, that you could maybe pair with Brandon Woodruff going forward, then that automatic let that becomes one of the best pitching contracts in baseball. Honestly, if he pitches up to that potential, so obviously, yeah, you, you know, it, it's it's obvious why the Brewers wanted to do this. I'm I'm guessing maybe they saw something that made them believe in that slider too. That kind of made sure that they wanted to get in before the arbitration years to try to get this locked down from Freddie's perspective, you know, international signing didn't have a huge signing bonus coming over as an amateur. So this is definitely something that provides that security long-term for him and his family. He talked a lot about that. And, you know, to Ryan's point too, like even if this goes the entire course of the contract, he will still hit free agency at about age 30. So, you know, starting to verge on a little bit older for a pitcher that you'd want to, uh, sign in free agency, but at least there's another chance too, where like if he fulfilled everything in this deal, he's still in line for another payday down the road. Um, so I, I think you can see all sides why this is such such a good deal. And you know he went right out after that signing that deal, had three hitless innings on Saturday with three strikeouts against the Cubs. So we'll see how that shakes out. But in the meantime, I, th- I think we're all kind of in agreement that this is good for everyone involved. And there were some 30-year-old pitchers getting paid here this past offseason. I mean, it's it's not as bleak maybe as it would have been this time last year. No, I think the size thing is a good point that you brought up before because he is, that is yeah. he is a smaller guy, and guys that are that size don't tend to hold up as well into their late 30s, and people get a little skeptical of paying them, especially if they have a lot of mileage on their arms. 
Though at this point, we, you know, depending on how they decide to use him, if they're bouncing him back and forth between relief and the starting rotation, at least this year, maybe, you know, for a year or two or something, even if he does then become a big time starter who's putting up, say, you know, 175 innings, maybe even getting close to 200. That's there are very few guys that get to 200 innings anymore in baseball. But mm-hmm. if he does get to that point, he still won't have, have have had the really heavy usage when he was younger. They've been pretty right. careful about not throwing a lot of innings on him through these these tender years where pitchers do. I mean, it is there's this there but studies on this where they show that pitchers really need to make it through those, you know, basically up to kind of age 25. Because before that, it's just so easy to get hurt. Guys get work too hard and break down and their careers really suffer from it. And they've been careful. And really, they've been careful with everybody. The Brewers have done a very good job of making sure that they're not loading too many innings on guys in general. So they do have that going for them. But it it does. We'll have to see where he ends up sort of towards the end of this deal. But there's a chance that, like James said, this could be one of the best pitching contracts in baseball in a few years. If he lives up to what, you know, we think he might. Right. Yeah. And we're obviously, you know, dreaming big on, you know, if that slider's legit and his couple of spring outings so far, it's it's looked okay. You know, you're not going to get the flailing swings that he got in winter league with that. But just the threat of it, I think watching the, his start on Saturday, there were a couple of times where, you know, a couple of Cubs batters weren't exactly expecting that slider and they just kind of rolled over on it weekly. You know, like that's a dimension of his game that we haven't really seen in the past, whereas he was, you know, just focused on blowing everybody away before. You know, it definitely it seems like the Brewers are are confident in that pitch and confident in him going forward, which uh, kind of takes us to our first Patreon question. Uh, Adam Post asked, does the Freddie Peralta contract extension at all change your guys' expectations of him going forward? Uh, JR, let's start with you. Um, it doesn't. I mean, it certainly gives us roster certainty, cost certainty, and roster certainty. We know he's going to be on the team. They're not going to be shuttling him back and forth. Uh, you would, well, no, they're not going to be shuttling him back and forth anymore. So that changes my my interpretation of him. And you know, given that he's going to take a spot on the roster pretty much permanently, I wasn't expecting him to be in the rotation. I guess now I'm thinking there's probably a fifty fifty shot he's in the rotation to start with. I'm sure he'll start games. This, I mean. The Brewers have kind of made this loud and clear. They've said it and they've shown it. They're not looking at a five-man rotation. They're looking at more like an eight- or nine-man rotation uh, over the course of the season. So I'm sure he'll start games, but I, I would have been sure of that before. Now I wonder if he's if he's maybe a, a four or five. You know, Eric Lauer is kind of an un- uncertainty. Not an uncertainty, just an unknown, I guess. And, and Brett Anderson to some degree because he has an injury history. You wonder if maybe Peralta sneaks in there, but... Um, I'm, I'm going to guess he's still what we thought he would be in terms of he'll start games, but he's also going to be pretty much used out of the bullpen, at least, at least in the early going. I think I would agree with you, except for what we've seen from them the last like six months in terms of who they've let go and have decided not to guarantee money to and bring back. They've let a lot of guys go. Like they've let Eric Thames walk out the door. They traded away Brett Anderson. Uh, I'm sorry, they traded away Chase Anderson. Chase Anderson. They brought in Red Anderson, yeah. Too many Andersons. I'm going to do that all year, too. Oh, that's, yeah. That's going to be yeah. bad. But they have done this thing where they are not keeping guys, even though we think that, man, that guy really isn't making that much money. They could just you know afford to bring that guy back. And they have opted to spend their money in other ways and, and go in different directions with it. So I, it leads me to think that when they make even this level of commitment, even like what looks like a really kind of no-brainer, no-doubt commitment to a guy, it's still $15 million over five years. And as JR pointed out, 
it's the roster spot too. Like it's this pretty much guaranteed roster spot. Right. And I don't think they do that lightly. So I think they probably internally have very, very strong feelings about like, I don't know if it's specifically the slider, the addition of that pitch or just where he's at generally, like his maturation as a pitcher and as a person. But I get the feeling that they have, they have pretty strong feelings about him being successful going forward or they wouldn't have done this deal because there was no reason they needed to do it right now. Like yeah. they still had him under control right. for two more army years. Yeah. Like, yeah, they had him on league minimum deals Three for a while. Years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they had him for a long time. So they didn't need to do this. And so the fact they did it does kind of lead me to think that they, they see something. I so, still think back yeah. last year it was against the Reds. I'm, Almost positive. I guess I'm not 100 percent sure. He had the best start of any Brewers pitcher in 2019. He did. He yeah. outdueled Luis Castillo. Uh, I think it was his first start of the year, actually. It might, yeah. yeah, I know it was early. One nothing. It might have been. I'm not sure. But yeah, it was, was a one nothing duel with Luis Castillo, who ended up having one of the best years in the league last year. So wait, I think it was his second start. His first start was against the no, Cardinals. It was the second start. Okay, and yeah. then yeah, yep, yep. it was definitely early. But Freddie was devastating that day, and you know he didn't. It didn't work out that way over the course of the year. But we've seen it. We saw it on Mother's Day in his debut. For crying out loud, we know that he's capable of being a pretty good starting pitcher. Yeah, I mean when we you see him on his game, there are very few batters that can like keep up with him because right. if he's locating, and that was even before the slider, it's really really tough. He is a that high fastball is a weapon. Yeah. 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 I think that's, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, if he hadn't worked out in the rotation or won't, you're, you're still looking at maybe a very high leverage reliever, which at that price, uh, it's still going to be less than what Josh Hader is going to make the year after this one, you know, like, so it, it, it does lock in that cost certainty uh, as sort of like a baseline and, I think the the point that you guys are making too about the the commitment just to the roster spot is really interesting because you know David Stearns values flexibility over anything else. That's why literally every contract he's <laughs> other contract he signed this winter was one year with an option for next year. It's like eh, I don't know, maybe we'll see. But it's Christian Yelich uh, and the eight platoons, pretty much. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> it's a great band name. It is. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, so so. To be willing to, um, you know, lock down that roster spot, knowing he's going to be one of your 26 guys for the next seven years, I think even knowing, didn't he have like one option year left? Maybe, I think at least one option left. I'm probably wrong, but, uh, you know, like, so you're giving that up to, not necessarily giving it up, but you're obviously not going to want to send him down if you don't have to. So it's just a, it's a very clear commitment. I don't know if it changes my expectations for him all that much, Um you know, understanding that he's still a developing pitcher, there's still going to be ups and downs. Guys with his profile are going to get hit around every once in a while too, but you're also going to get those 10, 12 strikeout games where he just looks like a world beater. So I, you know, my, I think my expectations are, are probably right about where they were. It's just nice to know that he's going to be around for a long time now. I was just going to say, one. to answer your question, it was three, it was, he's got three RB years and the two pre RB years. I think that's the surprising thing is how early this deal right. happened. Just, mm-hmm. We have not seen that before. I think Chase Anderson's the only other long-term extension we've seen under David Stearns, right? Yeah. Where he's given a guy any sort of long-term deal. Right. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's, you know, giving him more money than they kind of have to through the pre arb and the, and the early arbitration years too. It's just really interesting. Um, 
But uh, moving on, we've got a ton of questions about Freddie Peralta. Another Patreon question from PJ Wessels. He's asking us to rank the number of executed option years on Freddie's contract from most to least likely. <laughs> so do, do the Brewers end up exercising one, two, or none of those option years? Ryan, you can go first. Uh, I'm going to be optimistic and say that it's most likely that they end up exercising both of them. They're just so cheap, like they're not a lot of money and it's going to be a fairly easy thing to pick up, you know, $7 million or whatever to do that. So I think they're going to pick up two. I would say then the next most likely is zero because there's so many things that can happen with pitchers. You know, it's just, it's the way the world works. And it's honestly, it's a big part of why he obviously did this deal is to give himself that certainty to set his family up, to make sure that everything's taken care of. You know, this is generational wealth now. So that is a big deal. And then one, just because that's a weird situation to get into where he would be good enough the first year totally to pick agree. it up, but then a second year, nah. <laughs> so that would be at two zero one. Yeah, me. I totally agree <laughs> that one is last on this list. I think he's either a great pitcher that's a no-brainer to pick him up twice, or it's he's a pitcher that they're not going to pick up at all. I would actually put zero high. It's not that that's something I'm pulling for or anything, but just the way you talked about, the way they operate with Eric Thames. I mean, it seems like such an obvious call at this point. Like, yeah, of course they're going to pick up their two option, his two option years. But they've made some decisions that, I don't know if they're head-scratching, but just value frugality and, and being able to find the same type of player at a cheaper price or with more years of control elsewhere seems to be the, the how they operate right now. And I know that David Stearns has said, look, there is a retention. Uh, he says, look, a lot, by the way. He's one of those guys who starts every sentence with, look. <laughs> which drives me crazy, but uh, he he does. There's a retention piece to what they you know what they visualize for the Brewers, and so this would be this would definitely be that. But I don't know. I I still uh, I'm still wary of of how they operate and wonder if maybe uh, maybe it's not a slam dunk that they go after those two option years. Yeah, it's perfectly fair. Yeah, uh, you're right about that. Yeah, I think it it it's hard to think at the top of my head on which option years have actually picked up under Stearns, at least in the past couple of years. I'm sure you guys could check me on that and, and figure it out. But, you know, with, with Eric Thames fresh on the mind, it, it you know, that one seemed like an obvious one. Uh, Manny Pena, they just picked up too. That came to mind. But, you know, it... it they probably I, I weren't going to pick up Chase Anderson, right? Like, if, right, and that's why they traded him. If he had traded, yeah. they would have just not picked up that option. Right, exactly. Um, so, you know, I, for that reason, I'm kind of with you on the all or nothing proposition here. I think the only chance that would be one year is something, some weird situation where they pick up the one and then he gets hurt and then they don't want him back or something like that. But it, it's just kind of trying to follow the, the, the pattern here. And it's so hard to project this five years down the road too. There's just a plethora of things that could happen. So I think, I think that's just kind of the brewers looking at this. Like if we get through five years and he's still healthy and he's still a, a solid pitcher. Yeah. We want that flexibility to, to keep him through those years. It would be hard to see them going on and declining it after one year. I, I think I would agree with you guys kind of turning the attention to that uh, fifth rotation spot. Uh, we got a Twitter question about Freddie Peralta. Lot, lots of Freddie talk today, obviously. Uh, Marcus Horton's asking, uh, there's a lot of spring training to go, but would you guys say now Peralta has the slight edge over Eric Lauer for the number five rotation spot? I know, JR, you kind of said it's about a 50-50 shot. Ryan, wh- how are you feeling about his odds of making the rotation now, especially given this deal? Yeah, I think the deal definitely makes me think it's more likely he's going to win that spot. I think that 
you look at my my opinion before was I thought he was headed to the to the bullpen. I thought they were going to use him potentially as a multi inning weapon, as a right handed Josh Hader if everything worked out great, and then potentially have Corbin Burns in AAA to be the sixth starter in case they needed to call him up. And I think that has changed. You know, my my outlook on that has changed at this point. I think it is more likely now that Freddie Peralta does start the season in the rotation and Eric Lauer goes to the bullpen. Yeah, or maybe Eric Lauer's in AAA. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I think the another question would be, do they see Eric Lauer as a reliever if he is not going to be a starter? I mean, they have plenty of left-handed options out of the bullpen at this point. With they uh, do, yep. You know, obviously Hader and Suter at the top of that list, and Claudio if he's if he's on the team. And I just don't know. I, I don't know what happens to Eric Lauer if he doesn't make one of those five rotation spots. I, you know, th- that'd be interesting to me. I think his spot, Corbin Burns' spot, and uh, for now, I guess Bobby Wall. Those are kind of the three could go either way to me as I look at this roster. I think most of the spots are pretty clearly spoken for, and I, I think that's probably where you might find some surprises is with those three guys. Yeah, I think Lauer, he does have three options left. Right. So yeah. Lauer could be a guy, and you, you know that when they got him, that that was part oh, of man, their thinking was... Right. Three options? My goodness. Yeah. Let's get that guy. Yeah. You know, that's that's <laughs> part of their deal. So I would not be at all surprised to see Eric Lauer sent down at this point as opposed to being in the bullpen. Because like you said, they do have three guys. And Alex Claudio, I think, is almost a lock to make it just because he does have the guaranteed contract. So mm-hmm. yep. I think they would have to keep him on the major league roster or expose him potentially to win. Yeah, I think he's making so, it too. For I sure. think he's he's on the roster. Yeah, I think I'm with you guys too. Uh I going into this, I I was sure all winter that Eric Lauer is going to be one of the five, but um it's not necessarily that the the contract has changed my mind. I think it's just the way Freddie pitched over the winter, not to buy too much into it, but um looking at that, looking at this possible development, I think um he, maybe the Brewers were just a year ahead when they put him in the rotation to start last year. Uh, and, and I think there's everything we're seeing out of spring so far shows that they're really impressed with what they're seeing. And I think that kind of gives him the inside track for that, which like you guys said, probably sends Lauer down to triple a, just because I can't imagine having him and Suter seems a little redundant in the bullpen. Well, looking um, forward too, if you think about it a little bit, Freddie Peralta would not be a guy that you could have in the rotation making 34 starts and going, you know, five or six innings per start even because right. that would pretty quickly push him way past his previous high. So, right. and I don't think they would do that. So at some point he's going to either leave the rotation or he's going to get shut down or they're going to do something. So this is like JR said, the whole thing with this team is, they are planning to use a bunch of different players in a bunch of different roles. And so right. just because a guy like Eric Lauer might not start the season in the big league rotation doesn't mean that they don't have designs on him making a bunch of starts for the team over the course of the season. It's it's all subject to change as things right. roll. Right. And I think that goes for anybody in that starting rotation too. You know, like I, if I had, I think it came up in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, if we had to bet on Brett Anderson making it to September in the rotation probably not going to happen. Um, so, you know, to, to your guys' point, we're going to see eight, nine, maybe 10 guys make starts for the Brewers this year. It wouldn't be too crazy to see. And I think that's actually maybe part of the plan too. They've built up all this depth across the diamond. With that said, any other final thoughts on Freddie Peralta before we move on to, I guess, the the other big story of the spring so far? Oh, I can't wait for this one. I'm excited already. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Marcus's second half of the question he had, 
Uh, it's the big question, I guess, in the first week of the season, spring training season. Uh, has Orlando Arcia fixed his swing? Uh, Marcus says it looks a lot cleaner than it has in previous seasons. And obviously it's leading to some good results early on, you know, as always be wary of spring training stats, especially the first week of spring training stats, but hard to do much better than RC is doing right now. Uh, After leading off the game Saturday against you Darvish with a home run, he's now five for 13 with a double and three homers. So four of it, four of his five hits have gone for extra bases, not too shabby. He's he, he does look like he's swinging the bat more confidently. He, uh, we're hearing that out at camp now. You know they made some changes to his swing. Andy Haynes and Jacob Cruz both working with him. A lot of hands on. I guess Jr. Do you believe this change is for real, or is it just too early to tell? I mean, Travis Shaw hit five home runs in spring training last year and had like an 868 OPS, and I had no idea. I looked it up just now on my phone because nobody remembers spring training stats. I certainly don't. <laughs> so, uh, And Shaw, coming off a great year, we, we would have thought, I'm sure, oh, yeah, of course, he's, he's you know, poised for another, you know, to take another step forward. He's going to have a phenomenal year. He's been great. Why wouldn't he have a great spring training? And then it all disappeared. So He uh, was broken. Yep. Just one of a gajillion illustrations how not to take spring stats seriously. And I know people know that. I think the good news is is purely from a confidence standpoint, you you know, he's not he's he's not going to be coming into the season struggling. He's going to have found some success. We saw last year how maybe his defense regressed a little bit and when the pressure was on, when it became clear that the Brewers would be willing to move on from him at shortstop, he got better. He improved over the course of the season. And and obviously with the team bringing in Luis Urias, it is essentially a signal that, you know, Orlando RC's time is very, you know, is growing very short if he isn't going to be producing. So to have this start is going to certainly help him get off on the right foot. And, you know, yeah, you, you got to feel good about it. There's no reason to feel bad about it. It's just it isn't it isn't a harbinger of things to come necessarily. But uh, but you can't you can't be upset when you watch that guy swing a bat. Like you said, he looks confident. He looks he looks a little stronger than he did last year. I mean, he definitely uh, he definitely looks the part. This is a you know, supposed to be sort of the, the prime part of his career. So uh, so you would hope for big things at this point. So shouts to all the people on Twitter. I asked this question on Thursday afternoon, and I said, so I'm not a big swing mechanics guy. It's not really my area of expertise. And so I said, are you guys seeing the crowd? Are you seeing something different? And this got more responses than I've seen to any tweet <laughs> in a while. And I mostly what I got was a lot of people saying that, yes, we're seeing, I'll just give you a sampling of some of the little snippets of things here. Like um, the swing looks smoother. The there's less movement in his front leg. The feet are more quiet in general. Uh, He just looks like he's more stable. Like he has a, a firmer base, a bunch of different comments like that. And what it made me think was how much we've seen his swing over the years change because he'll go through these time periods where it does look good. You know, that first full season that he was up in the big leagues in 2017, it did look pretty good. And he had a pretty solid overall offensive season and looked like he was a young emerging star who could play really, really good defense and then could, you know, at least kind of hit reasonably for the position. And it was going to be great. And then we saw all kinds of struggles in 2018 and 2019, where he was among the very worst hitters in the game. And I think it it really does illustrate the point that it comes and goes with him. So for us to have any sort of really good feeling about what he's doing, we're going to need to see it over an extended period of time. Like, this is good. Obviously, you want to see this versus him stepping in the bucket and really collapsing that backside, which we've seen both of those issues with him at various right. times in his career. We, this is better than that. 
But we need to see this carry, you know, into April, into May, into June, you know, maybe even a little bit longer before we really start to go, okay, maybe Orlando RCA is back to being a, a really important piece of this team's future. And we'll also need to see a correction from last year's defensive degradation. Like he really fell off last year defensively. So we'll need to see that as well because he's never going to be, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't ever see him, even if everything goes great, he's never going to be a plus plus bat at shortstop. Like he doesn't have no. that kind of profile. So he's always right. going to need to be at least good defensively to make it all work, right? As, a, as an right. everyday starter sort of situation. Yeah. And, right. And offensively, what makes it strange? What makes him strange as a, as a Brewer fan to watch is that he has come up with so many big hits. It almost doesn't. You just can't wrap your mind around how bad right. he has been at the plate because he seems to come up with these moments that what's you know the moments you remember. So it it it's odd. Like you know, I was talking about confidence. Well, clearly he's got some confidence because he's not flailing in really big situations. But also the rest of the time he's really it's really bad. Like maybe the worst in the league offensively. So. It's, it's, he's such a puzzle. He's very difficult to wrap your mind around. Yeah, I think one of the things that's yeah. really saved him in Milwaukee was that when the lights were the brightest during that run to the playoffs in 2018 and then through the playoffs, he was pretty good. He was, yeah. yeah. So that Homer's definitely helped him out. Yeah. Well, and we that just, game at yeah. Wrigley, which he still drives, uh, was Brett Taylor, uh, Bleacher Nation, still drives him insane. <laughs> that Orlando Garcia yeah. like almost single-handedly knocked them out of the division title down at Wrigley yeah. in game 163. So You hate to see it. Yo, you hate yeah. to see that. Yeah. We just need to tell Orlando that every game is September against the Cubs and he'll be an all-star. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I'm I'm with you guys. Like obviously it's it's easy to get excited. Um it's especially this this early in the year. We're just excited to have baseball back. So when people are doing well, we're going to uh celebrate it for sure, but I think Orlando RC is probably one of the more toxic relationships Brewers fans have. Um, There's always that, that player. There's always, you one know, or two, it, right? well, it, well, and it's not just like a love hate thing, you know, it, it's just like we we've been hurt by him before and yet we keep going back to it, uh, hoping that it'll be different this time. And like you guys have both said, there have been stretches where he looks amazing and then the swing just falls apart for no apparent reason. Right. So I think, to Ryan's point, it's just gonna it's gonna take a long time for us to really uh, believe this is for real, um, and and to not see those mechanics just break down. You know, even if the results aren't there, if the mechanics are good, I think we can all live with that. He also and, seems and, to be a guy that like benefits exceptionally from the juicier ball. Like the years when it's <laughs> sure. like we've seen a juice yeah. ball basically since 2015, but there have been varying degrees. 17, it was juicier more years. Yeah. yeah. 18, it was a little less juicy. 19, it got really <laughs> juicy again. Like he does seem to have better, especially the power shows up when the ball yeah. is juicy and it gives him something to work with there. So there's probably some right. tie to that as well. Yeah, I, I legitimately forgot that Arcia hit 15 home runs last year until they mentioned it on the Cubs broadcast <laughs> yesterday. Like he, he was historically bad and he still somehow hit 15 home runs. That's just how how juicy last year was, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, and I mean, he what did he hit in 17? It was a decent amount then, too, right? Was it? I think it was 15. I think it was like it was a dozen or 15 or something like that. Yeah. Oh, maybe it was even higher. I, I forget. Um, it was in the teens. But, you know, to to uh, his credit, too, you know, he's he's answering questions about this and in and what he exactly did over the winter. And it sounds like it's a lot of tangible stuff that you just kind of hope carries through, um, 
you know, he, he was saying the folk he's focusing more on staying back on the ball, which, uh, you know, a big part of his problem before was kind of lunging at those balls out over the plate or mistiming that leg kick. Um, he's now focusing on getting in on the ball, which we kind of saw with the home run on Saturday. Granted, you Darvish just grooved a fastball and admitted it, it was kind of funny. I don't know if you guys heard this or not, but, uh, you actually said he, he was planning to throw a fastball over the middle of the plate and actually thought Arcia would hit a home run on it, and he did. So, but, you Hugh know, Darvish so is a treasure. It, like, it's yeah, too bad that is. guy's on the Cubs. He's amazing. He's amazing. So yeah, I love him. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's at least good to see him take, you know, like that's a meatball of a pitch, but at least he's taking care of it and, and doing what he should with it, you know, which is more than we could say about him last year. I think it is just encouraging to see the actual tangible changes like Ryan was talking about, um, even if he wasn't going on a home run binge right now. Well, and Brad Ford pointed out that uh, his home run, his second home run of the season was on a curveball. So yeah. he also did. He did tank a curveball as well. So, right. He stayed back on the curveball. He didn't get out in front of it. And yeah, it, it was I think that was probably the most impressive one. Uh, just looking at what he would have done with that last year. So hopefully, you know, these changes stick. It's a long year. You know, everybody's mechanics to some extent kind of go wonky once fatigue and everything sets in. So uh, hopefully we, we see that uh, progress as we go through the year. Again, lots of questions about Arcia. Brad Westness is, is asking, uh, what do you think Arcia's output would have to be in order to get back to an everyday roster for the regular season, uh, Jr., do you want to take that? What what would it have to be for him to kind of take a stranglehold on that shortstop position? I mean, it would help that Louis Sirius isn't going to start the season. Like right now, I think he he is the everyday shortstop. So uh, so I, I think I think some of this, this is going to depend on Urias. Now he's he's the player who I think is you know he's, he's got maybe a little more project projectability in him and if he is showing up well if they send him to AAA to get healthy and he ends up just crushing the league and comes back strong i i think that's going to dictate what happens to orlando arcia because at this point i i don't know i'd be i'd be hesitant to say that we've that there's really an opportunity here to see more from arcia beyond like just an uptick from what we've had like i think we kind of know what we're getting with him and so if urias is like actually a true potential star shortstop, there's no question he's going to play in my mind. But then again, if Arcia is, you know, if he hits, I don't know, if he if he hits anything approaching like 280, you have to consider that he's capable of being an everyday shortstop. So so I don't know, but I still think, I think it's, it's up to Urias at this point in my mind. Well, I think the big deciding factor there is going to be the defense because both players now have questions about their defense. Arcia has this great track record defensively that has slipped in the last year plus. And so you have that where you don't know where he stands defensively. And Urias is a guy that everybody thought could be really a spectacular second baseman defensively, but was more questionable like at sure, shortstop. Yeah. That was not a guy that people necessarily wanted to see at shortstop long term. And so I think that's going to be a big factor in determining where they're at with it. And I think that this may allow them to sort of take their time with Urias. If Arcia yeah. has come out of camp looking good and ready to go, then they can just wait on him and let him maybe have a couple weeks worth of, of work in the minor leagues. Maybe he goes to a couple different uh, stops to kind of build himself back up. And they give Arcia, you know, this last sort of chance to say, hey, we're going to give you some really regular playing time. And then let's see what you do with it. 
And I think yeah. he could potentially take that and run with it, but I don't know that I'd want to bet on it at this point. So. Right. Well, I mean, because we've seen that before too, where he's he's he keeps he keeps seeming to have these opportunities handed to him on a silver platter, right? Whether it's Urias going down this year or even last year, he got sent down to the minors, but Tyler Saladino gets hurt or something. You know, he he keeps getting these opportunities to to really take hold of the job. And to this point, hasn't really done anything with it, which is why they went out and got Luis Urias in the offseason. I mean, it's one week, so it looks like he's at least kind of taking that uh, by the reins a little bit too. But yeah, I think it's it's important to see what he does defensively too, whether it's just a focus problem or or what happened. If if he's not at least back to where he was defensively, it's it's hard to see him uh, being the everyday shortstop for much longer than you know just the first few weeks of the year when Urias is still rehabbing. Uh, I do think it's good though that we're seeing this it at least gives a little bit more confidence uh to ryan's point that they don't have to rush urias back especially with a wrist injury which can be tricky you know he wants to be back by opening day but that doesn't seem all that uh likely so i think if if you feel a little bit better about arcia you you can go into the year with arcia and sogard probably handling most of the shortstop at bats uh, tell Urias to take his time. Don't worry about trying to rush back. And then just kind of slot him into that infield mix when he's ready. So I I, I do think it at least uh, adds a factor to this this depth uh, because I don't know if anybody would really have counted Arcia as a dependable option up until this point. No, it so. was more speculative at this point yeah. in his career. Right, exactly. It, it, it's sort of like Freddie in that we're we're wishing and hoping that they take that leap, uh, but it, it it's not really based in too much fact right now. So we went through a lot of questions already. We actually have a lot, a uh, few other questions to get to too. Um, if you want to send us a question, you can do that in a few different ways. You can follow our podcast network on Twitter at MKE Tailgate and send us a question there when we send out our weekly call for questions. You can also follow all of us individually. Ryan is at RD Top. I'm at James L. And JR is at JR Radcliffe. Uh, so you can always just shoot us a question and we can talk about it here on the podcast. We can also, you can also email in our, your questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our MKE Tailgate Facebook page and send a question there. Um, Getting to some other Patreon questions that we have this week, uh, Jay Google is asking about the Walk of Fame this year. Nobody got inducted. Kind of uh, a rarity here, but he's asking with no former Brewers getting inducted in this year, which ones should be in the Walk of Fame that are not? And I know, JR, you've got a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> I do have thoughts. There's there's so many of them, folks. Uh, so here's here's my thing. I love I love Jeff Jenkins. I love him. He was one of my favorite players watched the team a lot in the nineties. There wasn't a lot to cling to. He's a great player. And actually his numbers are even better than I remember. I think he, I think he was an 834 career OPS, which is a little higher than I would have thought. Uh, he was inducted into the walk of fame two years ago, 2018. They have not inducted anybody since. And, and I just, I don't want to make it sound like I'm again, I love Jeff Jenkins, but like the bar got lowered a little bit. Now we're not talking about like true bona fide superstars. We're talking about guys who just, are popular players who were pretty good for an extended period of time. So I feel like with with Jenkins in there, there are a lot of other guys that you could put in there. Uh, with that said, I'll give you somebody who wasn't there for a long period of time. Ted Simmons going into the Hall of Fame. 
Uh, he was only with the Brewers for five years, but probably some of the most important years in franchise history, 81 and 82, obviously. And he was a huge, uh, you know, huge cornerstone of them building them, building the Brewers into an actual viable franchise. So that's a guy that I would certainly circle to, particularly with him going in the Hall of Fame this year. Raleigh Fingers was one in part of the inaugural class. He was technically here five years as well, but really only four because he had to sit out a year. He was injured. So, I mean, it's, the playing time issue shouldn't be in question here. If, if Fingers is in, Simmons should be in too, I think. Uh, although Simmons was never an MVP or Cy Young, so I, I guess there's a, a line of demarcation there. I would also put in George Bamberger. I mean, he was part of... He had his own. He had his own. His offense had a nickname, Bambi's Bombers, <laughs> and uh, again, that's a, a big turning point for the for the franchise. When he was here from '78 to '80, the the franchise really, you know, started started to find itself, and he kind of oversaw a pretty cool period of time. I don't think uh, I, the the thing I mentioned beforehand. Part of the problem is that guys our age, you know, into our late 30s, early 40s, we don't remember George Bamberger. I mean, we're get it's getting to the point where it's old enough where you don't have a lot of Brewer fans who would go to bat for George Bamberger. Like they barely remember him. He didn't win a World Series. Didn't even go to the playoffs, so why would we be talking about him? But they uh, were just really, really good teams. They were so good. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think most people could even name Buck Rogers as the manager of the team when they went to their first playoffs in 1981. I actually think that's a pretty good trivia question for the average <laughs> Brewers fan. So, uh, so it, it's tough. I could see why people aren't aren't identifying Bamberger, but that's a guy that I would definitely want to. I think he's going to get in there eventually. He should. Yeah, those 78 to 80 teams, like. Everybody remembers so the the 81, 82 teams because they made the playoffs and there's a lot of memories tied up in those. And we know about it like I'm 40. And so like I know about this because people have talked about it because it's legendary, not because I have any memory of it. I'm, I'm not old enough to actually remember it. But I think that that 78 and 79 teams really get lost. They were incredibly, incredibly good teams. And it has really been sort of a a fault of history that they didn't get into the playoffs. The Brewers mm -hmm. those years would have made if they had stayed in the uh, AL West instead of moving over to the AL East when they did, which I think was around 75, they would have had a bunch more playoff appearances. Like mm -hmm. they would have edged out. I believe they would have edged out the 87 twins from making the playoffs. Like they would have, they would have been in a much better position. Like historically, I think the franchise would be viewed a lot differently because they would have been in the playoffs a lot more. Sure. And what right. if Larry Heisel stays healthy? You know, he came over, he was the big first free agent that they signed. Oh gosh. What year is that? Is that 78? I think it is 78. So that's, that's the first right. year that they got a true free agent that everybody wanted. And he was awesome in his first year, but almost MVP candidate. He was certainly in the voting, just tremendous. And then he gets hurt. And it's the same story with guys like Pete Vukovic and Teddy Hagera, and I'm sure every franchise has guys like that. But, you know, the Brewers didn't have all that many stars, and uh, Larry Heisel was definitely one of the best offensive players in baseball, and, and you wonder if he's healthy. Do well, they... you had an emerging young star in Sixto Lascano sure, sure. who then got traded mm -hmm. to the Twins or the Cardinals in the uh, Ted Simmons trade. Right. And yeah. he, I think he then started suffering injuries and never really lived up to what he could have potentially been. But there's another guy that like was a huge part of those 78, 79 teams. And it's kind of gotten lost in to the midst of history. Right. And those are some, actually some of the first good teams in team history too. It's like you guys said, where they started to really break through too. So it's kind of unfortunate that they kind of get lost and forgotten, but hopefully, you know, you would think with the 50th anniversary this year, a lot of people look back 
a little bit more and go, hey, yeah, that that was actually really good. And they would have gotten more recognition. Unfortunately, no votes on the Walk of Fame this year. Uh, <laughs> they have got to loosen it up. I know everybody says that. Everybody who votes for it is like, we've got to loosen up the voting standards so that more people get in. But yet somebody's not voting for these people because there's right. they never get the critical amount of percentage that they need to get somebody new in there. It's like the BBWAA people who uh, don't release their ballots. Yeah. So you don't know who they are, but <laughs> right. you know there's this block of people out there that just like votes for nobody angrily. We you still know? don't know who voted for G- didn't vote for Jeter, do we? The one. No, I think that's it's yeah, that's going to be a secret for a long time until that person can like make a profit off of it. Yeah. Who cares? Nobody remembers that stuff. Nobody remembers the percentages over time. But uh, but the fact that Jeff Jenkins is the most recent inductee into this walk of fame. I love you, Jeff. But like we could get Jeff Cirillo in there if we're going to get Jeff Jenkins in there. We We could get a lot of those guys that are available into into this thing. I vote for John Jaha. Uh, <laughs> that is a choice you are permitted to make. Yes, he was he was he was my favorite in uh, Ken Griffey Jr. baseball back in the day. So that that's my pick. Uh, um, another page another Patreon question. Travis Cardi is asking, who is the biggest dark horse candidate to make the twenty six man opening day roster, even if they are removed from that roster shortly after? Ryan, let's start with you. Well, I'll go with Lomo then because. I don't know how exactly what it would take for that to work out, but I, I was just thinking of the G-Man Choi situation where he was was a one oh, day. Yeah. He gets his game oh, winning. It was one day. It yeah, one day. Yep. He gets his game winning RBI, and then he is he's gone. Um, but yeah, I, I guess if you're looking kind of at the roster and, and acknowledging the fact that Urias is likely to miss uh, the start of the season, then maybe it's somebody more up the middle. Mark Mathias has been getting a lot of. Uh, plate appearances early in spring training. I don't know if that's going to, he hasn't done that much with them, but I don't know if that's maybe a, a sign that they're taking an extended look at him or if that's just coincidence and it means nothing. Who knows? But he would be a name to potentially throw on that as a long shot as well. And then any number of bullpen guys, like that's because we know there's going to be a rotation there all season long. Right. So who knows? Like it just doesn't matter who the opening day person is. Like it, it will change so much even within a week that it just really, it does not matter who the, who gets the opening day nod. I think maybe, maybe in the bullpen, Eric Yardley would get a look if one of the left-handers in the bullpen comes up injured or something. I mean, right now, like we said, not, I mean, Yardley's a righty, but through a sidearm. So that's a possible, I I don't even know how that plays against lefties. I would assume it plays pretty well. So uh, I don't know uh, if that would be an alternative if, like, Claudio or Suter or Hayter aren't ready to go for whatever reason. I mean, knock on wood, I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, but other than that, I, I, I do think it, it would come down to a power bat, like a Ryan Healy or, like you said, uh, you know, Logan Morrison, because that would probably... I've, I've said this a few times. I feel like the 13 position guys are definitely set in stone. I, I really believe Ben Gamble will be on the opening day roster. He's the only guy who might not be in the 13 that I have outlined if they decide they wanted to take a power bat like a Morrison, you know, knowing that if they let him go, he's probably not going to be in the minor league system. He'll probably latch on somewhere else. That That's a possibility. Gamble does have an option remaining, so they could th- technically start him at AAA. But uh, but like like you know like the question said it'd probably be a short term fix no matter what I I I don't even know what they're gonna do when Louis Louis Sirius is healthy I I really don't know I mean it might be that they elect to yeah. just keep him at AAA for a while it's a, it's really kind of a, a puzzle I think yeah, yeah we just have to wait on that one because I think it does really come down to like what does he look like what does the swing look like and is he driving the ball for power because the wrist can be tricky like mm-hmm. those wrist injuries right. are tricky so. 
that is just something that we have to wait on. And it is nice to see Orlando Garcia taking advantage of this opportunity to at least potentially get early an early season look. He's worked his right. way that far to get himself an right. early season look. Especially since a week or two ago, we were taking a question on whether or not he's even on the opening day roster, you know, between him and Gamble, uh, those seem to be the popular picks on uh, who who wouldn't make it just in this roster crunch. Um, yeah, I think I think Lomo might be a decent idea, depending on how that first base situation turns out. You know, we haven't really seen a lot of the veterans yet, so it's hard to see uh, how that race shakes out but that and that's why he's getting a lot of starts at first so far uh but he also he had a home run on saturday as well you know hoping to take advantage of that opportunity uh you know who kind of to, to jr's point who knows if he would sneak through waivers or um if somebody else would pick them up or if he's gotten early out in his contract uh ryan healy is kind of that big unknown too i don't you know, I don't know if any of us really knows all that much about him. We're just kind of all going on on spec on him, and there's a health you know, issue if, if there the, too. Health with him is exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, so I, you know, the question on whether he, even he's ready to go by then uh, is out there too. So I, I think those are probably a, a good guess outside of those random, you know, bullpen arms like you know, Devin Williams could either start the year in the majors or in triple a it's, it's kind of depends almost on how they want to set up for that first series against the Cubs too. Uh, another Twitter question from Jay Google. He's asking, will the defense be better this year because they have the potential to sometimes put all three guys who have played shortstop before <laughs> out on the field. Uh, that's a, uh, you know, especially with off how often they shift. He says, uh, it's actually kind of an interesting point too. You know, like it seems like, they they may have kind of loaded up on shorthanded guys here, at least for the late innings. Ryan, what do you think? Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of different mixing and matching. We've talked about this all offseason that they've really set themselves up with a roster that can be bent in a lot of different ways if they want to go heavy for offense from the right-handed side, from the left-handed side, if they want to go heavy on defense. They can do all of that by moving guys from you know one position to another or from the bench to uh, into the game or you know, simply benching some guys that are more defensive liabilities. They have a lot of different ways that they can go. I think that there are a few immutable things. I think that it's going to be a big factor in how their defense is overall this year is how does Keston here advance at second base? Because I do think he figures to be on the field most of the time if he's healthy. Mm -hmm. Like, he's not a guy you're going to want to do too much mixing and matching with. Maybe he'll come out occasionally in a double switch or something when it really works perfectly late in a game. But he's mostly going to be out there. So I think he's sort of a linchpin of this. Like, if he improves a lot defensively from where he was, and I do think he has capability to improve significantly defensively, then... That could be a, a big step forward. But yeah, to Jarrah's point, there's, or sorry, to Jay's point, there's a lot of different things that uh, that they can do defensively with, yeah, Eric Sogard, who has played shortstop, Orlando Orsi, who's been a very good defensive shortstop in the past, and Luis Uris, who will play shortstop. They have the ability to get all those guys on the left side of their infield and make it a pretty good defensive unit. The question is more than can they do that on a fairly regular basis because will those guys hit well enough to justify it? I say this with the caveat that I 
mostly don't care about outfield defense. I feel like it doesn't really, unless you've got a truly elite guy like Lorenzo Cain has been, it doesn't really matter all that much. But with that said, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I mean, Lorenzo Cain battled through injuries last year. I think the irony of him winning the gold glove is, at least for most of the season, I think by the end his his defensive metrics were pretty close to what he had been in 2018, but that he he didn't like get better defensively in 2019. 2018 was his truly elite defensive season. So as he gets older, is he still going to be able to be this otherworldly center fielder that he is defensively? And then you got Christian Yelich. I'm not very high on him defensively. I, I think he's probably a little better than I've given him credit for, but he's going to be changing into you know going back to a to left field. So that's a change for him. Obviously, El Garcia and Ryan Braun are fine. They're fine defensively as far as I, I mean, obviously we haven't seen a lot of Garcia, but uh, interesting to see with with the platoon there or platoon isn't really the word that I guess I would use to describe those four outfielders. It's kind of <laughs> kind of hard to know what exactly that's going to look like, but um, I, I think that is an area where the Brewers could potentially regress with some of the changes and everything. Uh, I do I, I do think Hero will, will be out there, like you said. I, I don't have a lot of faith that his defense will get markedly better. I think it'll be increments, you know, and, and maybe at some point he's a passable defensive second baseman, but I do think that's a pretty good liability out there, and Urias, again, at shortstop, not, not as good as he might be at second base, so I don't think this defense is going to be better. I wouldn't predict that. I would say probably a tick worse, but uh, especially with Hira, there is there is room to grow. So uh, so I, I'm willing to be wrong. It sounds like Justin Smoke could be very good at first base. So uh, so I, I'm willing to be wrong on that one. Yeah, I think I'm I'm uh, more optimistic about the outfield defense than I think Jr. is. I think we we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we got a question about the alignment. But left field is actually Yelich's better position. I think it it suits his uh, strengths and weaknesses a little bit better. You know, you don't have to worry about his arm quite as much. Uh, his range is fine especially playing next to Lorenzo Kane. Garcia and Wright with that with that arm I think is an asset. You know, we 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 talked about Garcia. He's a big dude. He's like what 64230 or something like that. Uh but he can move once he gets going. So I I don't I don't worry too much about him in right field as much either. I think when you put that all together when you looked at the defensive runs saved, and I did this a few weeks ago when they announced that Garcia was going to be in right, I, I forget what the numbers are, but it was by far their best alignment to the point where uh, if Yelich is to the level he was in left field with the Marlins before he came over to the Brewers, it could possibly be one of the, the better defensive outfields, I think, in the division, actually. But again, that kind of depends. On, you know, you got to count on some regression from Lorenzo Cain a little bit. I... I I tend to be more optimistic on that. I think where the the issue is going to be is is that infield defense. Uh, but sort of to Jay's point here, you know, maybe with the twenty sixth man and however many middle infielders they want to carry, there there could be plenty of opportunity for late in games to pull here Keston Hira out for defensive purposes, put Luis Urias or Eric Sogard at second or one or the other at third, and then you know you've got your you know, three shortstop defense or whatever you want to call it uh, to close out the game. I think, you know, I think that's a decent idea. And I think we're probably actually going to see that quite often too. Um, and so who knows I, I what Brock know. Holt's going to give, right? Like that's another oh, thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I keep forgetting about Brock Holt since he was such, such a late addition, but you know, he, he can fit in just about anywhere as well too. And, and pretty much reasonably hold down any position. So, you know, like, including shortstop. So I, there's a lot of options there. And, and, and I think there's a chance that I, the, the defensive worries are a little bit overblown. So I, I guess we'll see how it all shakes out, though. 
That's all we have for questions this week. As always, thank you for all of those questions. And a reminder that patrons get question priority every single week here on the show. You can join our Patreon by going to patreon.com slash tailgate. And again, patrons at the ball and glove level get the monthly minor league extra, as well as Paul is reporting as eligible mini pods. Uh, Patrons will also get priority into our Milwaukee's tailgate fantasy league, which is rapidly approaching. And we will have more on that league as we get closer to opening day. Uh, All of us on the podcast will be in that league. So you will have a chance to personally make me feel bad about how little I know about baseball (laughs) and (laughs) at least fantasy baseball. I am honestly terrible. Uh, So we'll have more details on that coming up on the show in a few weeks here uh and if you haven't already please do subscribe to our podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher overcast pocket cast anywhere else you listen to podcasts while you're at it please leave us a review and help other people find the podcast uh with that in mind jr thanks for stopping in and filling in for us this week yeah of course it's fun i love it i love uh, love talking a little brewers baseball uh, if uh, if anyone is interested, I do get a chance to chat with my JS Online colleagues, Tom Hodricourt and Todd Rosiak, on a regular basis once the season starts, do the uh, the Brewers Milwaukee Journal Sentinel podcast. Uh, definitely, if you're into the Brewers, you should be listening to both of these, uh, both both ours and uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate podcast. But uh, have a lot of fun doing that. Also do the Bucks podcast if you're into basketball with Matt Velasquez every week. So check us out in all the usual places you can find us. Uh, we, we're running once a week here now for the now that the baseball season's kicking in. JR, a very busy guy, so we appreciate you coming in and filling in for Brad and Paul this week. Uh, And thank you, everybody, for listening to us. And look for us again next week. We'll have more spring training talk. And who knows, maybe another extension to talk about here on Milwaukee's Tailgate.